This morning, we're continuing in our series, Ancient Families, Modern Problems. This is our third sermon in our series. The first week, we talked a little bit about how God, He uses people who are flawed. And when God moves and when God decides to make something of someone, when God decides to do something, He doesn't go after the perfect but he goes after the flawed. And that's good news for some of us here today. We don't, uh, how many of you, of you come from perfect families? And if you think you do, I have news for you. You're mistaken. You're lying to yourselves. We all come from families. We have baggage. We have, we have issues that we bring to the table. But here is the great news for us. Here's the good news. God uses flawed people. He's not looking for the flawless, but he's looking for the faithful. And so if you are faithful, if you are passionate about pursuing him, he is willing, he is able to use you. And that's what we heard a couple of weeks ago. And last week we started the conversation on one of the biggest relationships we will ever have, and that is the marriage relationship. We talked about this idea that a meaningful marriage is a blend of duty and desire. We were reminded that even though for many of us, we start with desire, and eventually that duty comes up, an obligation comes up in our marriage. There's a sense of duty and obligation to our partner. Love for our partner is a blend of the romantic love and duty towards them. It is a blend of emotion and obligation. The love that is shown in our families is a reflection of the love that was shown to us. The love that God shows us, it's not some kind of a, a gooey, romantic love, but it is a love that transcends that. It's a love that is much bigger. It's a love that is much more prominent than that. It is a covenantal love. That's what we heard last week. There is great emotion in how God loves us. He loves you as a father loves his child. But the love that God has for you, it's not based on how you perform. It's not based on what you do. It's not based on what you bring to the table. It's the covenantal love that will not break. It's a love that will never change despite what happens with you. And that's the kind of love that we're shown. Simply put, covenantal love combines desire with duty. And what results is a deep love, much deeper than pure emotion. So this morning, I want to continue a little bit on the topic of marriage. And so some of you are sitting here going, oh no, not another week of this. <laughs> but many of us here are definitely married. We are married. Our spouses are here. Some of us, you're saying, you know what? I'm not married. I'm never, not anywhere close to marriage. I'm not thinking about it. I don't plan on getting married anytime soon. Some of you are sitting here saying, I was married. I'm no longer married. I'm not even thinking about it. There are some of you are saying, you know, this is not in God's plan for me, but hear me out. This is what I believe about the Word of God. The Word of God has something to say to each one of us. No matter what station of life we're in, it has something to say to us. And so if you would bear with me for a few minutes, and we, I just want to dive into what the Lord has to say to us this morning. As we think about marriage, have any of you ever wondered... Most of us are surrounded by, if you look around, there is quite a few generations here. There are, there are the little babies all the way to the older senior citizens. We have a range here. 
But have we wondered if when we look at families, when we look at couples who've been married for such a long time, we often wonder, and when we go up to them, we ask them, what is the secret of your marriage? What is that one thing that you do that everyone else seems to be somehow ignoring or is somewhere how not aware of it? Marriages are falling apart all over the place. What is it that you do? As couples who've been together for a long time, sometimes we wonder what we're doing. Or sometimes we just want to boil it down to a formula. Give us that secret. In 2005, a Guinness Book of World Records said that Percy and Florence Aerosmith, they held two records. One for the longest marriage of a, of a living couple, 80 years. They've been married for 80 years. And they were also the longest married couple of aggregate age. So when you put them both together, they were 205 years old. All right? So the interviewer asked them, and they have since died, um, but they asked them, would you give us some advice as to how you've stayed married this long? Florence said, you know, you must never go to sleep bad friends. If you've had a quarrel, make it up. Never be afraid to say sorry. Percy, on the other hand, had a slightly more humorous advice. He said the secret to his long marriage were just two words. Yes, dear. You see, we've all seen couples who've been around each other, who've been with each other for such a long time. A long-lasting marriage does not always signal a happy marriage. It does not always signal a joyful marriage. Plenty of miserable couples, we've seen that they've just stayed together, maybe because of their children, maybe because of religion, or maybe because of tax purposes. Whatever it may be, some of them just stay. But for many couples, it's not just enough for them to stay together. They want a a relationship that is meaningful and satisfying. In In short, they want a sustainable marriage. So what is it that gives a marriage meaning and satisfaction? What is it that brings joy and happiness in a marriage? What defines a marriage that is pleasing to the couple and to God? See, last week we heard the essence of a, of a meaningful marriage is desire and duty. Today, I want to answer this question by taking it one step forward. There is desire, there is duty, but then there is also purpose. There is desire, there is duty, but there is also purpose. For a marriage to be successful, it has to have purpose. Purpose is a reason for existence. Purpose is the reason why things are the way they are. When God created us, He created us with purpose and intention. He created us knowing exactly what our roles were going to be. Every person sitting here in this room today, whether you know it or not, whether you're aware of it or not, whether you're living it or not, you have a purpose. And let me break it down. That purpose is one and one only. That purpose is to bring glory to God. For a marriage to be successful, for a couple who've been living together, for them to have meaning in that relationship, it must have purpose, and that purpose is to glorify God. However, when in our quest to accomplish this purpose, one of of three things happens. 
When we're trying to figure out what is this purpose, what is it that we are called to be, what is it that we're called to do, how do we make this work? Some of us turn inward. We turn to self-centeredness. And you've seen that in families. You've seen that in, in marriages. Some of us, if I were to ask the average person on the street, I, I would ask, what, how, how would you define purpose? What is your purpose in life? And most of them would go something like this. You know what? I find purpose in what brings me happiness. I find purpose in what helps me grow. I find purpose in what makes me a better person. It's always inward looking. It's always self, self-centered. More often than not, even in our marriages, we, ha- we tend to do the same. The culture around us enforces that. Marriage has for some now transitioned from what it used to be a culture, it used to be a religious institution, and now it's based on convenience and economy. It's based on when I feel like it, and when I don't, I push it aside. The notion that the emotional needs of an pr- individual spouses were secondary to the demands of scripture, or to the survival of the marriage itself, is no longer accepted. Emotions comes first. One's desire is no longer existent. In the marriage, the spouses may walk away. Duty and response have taken a backseat to happiness. Emotion rules the day. In in an article titled, The Happy Marriage is the Me Marriage, Tara Parker Pope She writes this. She writes about a concept of self-expansion. Now, this is what self-expansion is. This is where individuals use a relationship to accumulate knowledge or experiences from the other person. So if I'm married, I'm married to my wife, I use her to grow myself. I use her knowledge. I use her, her personality to gain more experience. I use that, I use that relationship in a way that makes me grow. But here's what in this study that they did, they show that research shows that the more self-expansion people experience from their partner, the more committed and satisfied they were in their relationship. But as long as the partners pushed each other to grow, and experience new things, they would be happy. And once this reduced, happiness faded. And eventually the couple found themselves in an unsustainable marriage. You see, as long as the other one had nothing to offer, had no more to give, no more to push you to better yourself, all of a sudden there's no reason to stay. The notion that as long as my husband or wife helps me to grow or keeps me happy, I will be satisfied is self-serving. That as long as they make me happy is self-centeredness. When a person does that, instead of seeking God for joy, they have put their hope on their partner. They have transitioned from looking above to looking at their partner for their own selfish goals. When our goal is just to be happy, we set ourselves up for failure. Because the other person, we may think that this person will make us happy, but they can never fully provide it. We can never fully attain it. We can never fully maintain it. Because you see, we are putting our trust in something or someone that fails. If we're honest, in our own marriages, in our own relationships, in whatever stage in life you're in, we do that. For honest, we do that in our marriages as husbands and wives. 
Tim Keller, he's describing the state of contemporary marriage as this. It's a private arrangement for the satisfaction of the individual. That's what, more often than not, marriage has become reduced to. When our focus is self-centered, our purpose is denied. Let me say that. Every one of us has purpose. And when that, when our focus is self-centered, when our focus is all about me, that purpose is denied. That purpose to glorify God is pushed to the side. Our purpose to glorify God is denied when we seek ourselves. Sometimes, in search of ourselves, or in search for purpose, we may not become self-centered, but we become spouse-centered. And what, let me break that down. Sometimes this is well-intentioned. This is something that we do, but it is misleading. A spouse-centered wife acts nicely towards her husband when he acts nicely towards her. A spouse-centered husband will go out of his way for his wife as long as she remains agreeable and affectionate. The problem with being spouse-centered is that in only a short time we realize that this person is not as perfect as we imagined. The longer we're married, we realize that the person we married was not that perfect prince, was not that perfect princess that we had agreed to marry. We find flaws. Marriage brings out that in us. The other person is bound to let us down. And when this happens, people often give up on loving each other. When we are spouse-centered, all our hope rides on their performance, and we expect them to live by our standards. This view puts a crushing burden on the expectation of marriage. If we look to our spouses to do anything that God only can do, we set ourselves up for failure. If we look at them saying, you will bring me satisfaction, you will bring meaning to my life, we're setting ourselves up for failure. Our purpose is wasted when we're spouse-centered. Our purpose is denied when we're self-centered. Our purpose is wasted when we're spouse-centered. Then the question becomes, what is the purpose of, of marriage? What does the Bible say? What, what can we learn from, from these, uh, these families? The marriage relationship was instituted by God. So what does he have to say about this? What were God's intended purposes for us, for the relationships that we're in? The primary Reason is significant to God because it is a part of his ordained plan. When he created us, when he designed marriage, it was part of his plan. Marriage becomes the means for a married couple to demonstrate their love for God. It becomes a a means for them to glorify God. It is a means for us to lift him up. You see, a lot of us, if you think back to that wedding day, Can you think of the amount of work it took to get to that point? The number of people that you had to kind of sift through, find, and the people you dated or the people that you went and you went out with and you finally found that one person. And then even after you found that person, how much work it took to get to that wedding day, all the planning, all the money, everything that we put into it, everything. And on that day, you said, I do, you exchanged the rings. But so often we're misguided if we think that it's easy travels from then on. You see, it takes more work 
on this side of the rings than it does on the other. It takes a lot more work. It takes us being Christ-centered. You see, marriage is a means of serving and glorifying God. God planned for marriage to be a blessed state of mutual service. We both serve Him. We're both not focused on ourselves. We're not focused on each other. But instead, we are Christ-centered. We are Christ-focused. When we are Christ-focused, when we are Christ-centered, our purpose is fulfilled. When we seek meaning, when we seek joy, satisfaction from Him, our, our marriage fulfills His purpose for us. When we seek Him, we establish Him as the source of our joy. You see, when God designed marriage, when God designed this relationship, He had Christ and the church in mind. He knew Christ would come. He knew Christ would give everything that He had, including His own life, so that He could redeem the the church. The way He loved the church is what He had intended for us as couples, for us as married people, for the husband to love the wife and for the wife to love the husband in, in a similar way. You see, For us to do that, we can't do that when we are self-focused, when we are self-centered, when we are spouse-centered or spouse-focused. Only when we are Christ-centered are we able to put all our expectations, all our hopes on Him. You see, if self-centeredness is the enemy of marriage, the only rescue is Christ-centeredness. God has a purpose for each of us. He has a purpose for our marriages. He has a purpose for each of our relationships. The purpose, as I mentioned before, is to glorify Him. But we're unable to glorify Him when we're self-centered or spouse-centered. And being, by being those, we deny or we waste our purpose. To glorify God is to be Christ-centered. Well, then the question becomes, how? What do we do? We know we have to be this. But how do we get there? One way I want to talk about, there are so many ways that we can be Christ-centered, but one way I want to talk about how we as people of God, in relationships, of marriage, how we can be Christ-centered. Last week we heard about how Christ had come to earth, come to this earth out of his desire and duty towards us as people. His purpose was his mission. God was persuaded by his love and duty towards his people that he sent Jesus, his son, on a mission to come, to live, to die, and to be raised up. In other words, he came on a mission to rescue us. And that same mission, a mission that he undertook, he's passing along to us. He's saying, I came on a mission, and now I'm commissioning you to go. I'm giving you responsibility. I'm giving you, I'm putting you on a mission. In Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, we read, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. If you haven't been around church for too long, this is what we call the Great Commission. Christ, after his death and resurrection, he gives his disciples, he gives his people a mission to go into all the world, teaching them the good news of a God who saves them. This is simply the mission he gives each and every one of us. We are to take the story of Christ to those around us. 
the purpose of life, the purpose you and I have is to be on mission. The purpose of our lives is to be on that mission. If God calls us as individuals to mission, then what about us as married couples? What is our mission? What is it in our marriages? To answer that, let's, I want to take us to the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 4, we read of Paul, and it says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and there he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. I want us to take a look at two people. When we first meet Aquila and Priscilla, we're told that they had come to Corinth from Italy. They are fleeing persecution. At this point, they're not Christians. They were Jews. And the emperor Claudius had expelled all Jews from Rome. And so because it was, it was not safe for them, they fled. Aquila and Priscilla found their way to Corinth and settled there, pursuing their trade as tent makers. When Paul, a tent maker himself, comes to Corinth, he went to see them, no doubt having heard of their faith in Christ. Paul lived and worked with them while founding the Corinthian church. He, when he comes there, at this point, they had heard about Christ. They become Christians. And Paul, having heard of these are tent makers, these are Christians. How about I go stay with them? And we read that Paul stays with them for a year and a half. Imagine what those Bible studies were like. He lives with them for a year and a half, and then Paul finally now decides, it's time for me to leave Corinth. And so what does Aquila and Priscilla do? They pack up, and they go with him. They go with Paul to Ephesus. There, the couple stayed in Ephesus when Paul left, and they established a, a church in their home. Then a, a few a, few, a little time passes by, another preacher comes into town. His name was Apollos. And Apollos, he was young, he was fiery, he was, he was great, he had a great message. But when they heard closely, when Aquila and Priscilla heard closely, he, he spoke great, but there was something lacking in his message. And so they say, you know what, why don't you come in, we'll bring you into our home, and we'll talk about this, we'll kind of teach you what, what we kind of update your message a little bit, what we learned from Paul. And here they take on a new role. They take on, they become mentors to this little, to, uh, to, to Apollos. And eventually, that's their role. They played support to Apollos. They played support to Titus. They played support to the people that are out in the ministry doing what they're supposed to do. They play Paul, and Paul in Romans chapter 16 will eventually read towards the end of his life. He's saying, thanks Priscilla and Aquila for what they did because they put their lives on the line to serve me. Here's a couple who are, they're fleeing from persecution. They encounter a God who transforms their lives. They encounter a, a disciple who comes into their lives. They take him in. They're generous. They take on a mission. They take on a new role in their lives. They lay a wonderful example to us as couples who encounter God and they're willing to go on mission for him. They carried out their purpose by being hospitable, by hosting a house church, 
by teaching a young disciple and supporting Paul. Having marriage-centered a mission doesn't mean moving across the globe. It doesn't mean you have to go and become a missionary in the traditional sense. You see, Ecola and Priscilla, even though they, they, they moved once, but when they were planted, they were still missionaries. They took on a mission. They, know that they knew that the mission, the great commission that had been handed out to the disciples just because they were married didn't excuse them from it. It didn't, make, it didn't say that they had to do it separately, but instead they come together as a collective, as one body, as two people taking on not the great commission, the great co-mission. They decide that this is something that they were going to do together. See, if you look around, there are couples amongst us who have taken on the same role. Some of our couples here in the church have taken up adoption. Some get involved in the church here. They serve in the church here. Some are using their businesses to show God's love or becoming active members at their, at their local clubs, their local arts community, their sports communities, wherever they are, they are missionaries in residence. The common link that we see in these couples is that mission is what keeps their marriage vibrant. It takes them to a whole new level. A big part of what, what God created marriage for is for the husband and wife to be able to serve together, to be able to do what he has called them to do. When we undertake the mission that God has for us, and when we engage in more purposeful spiritual conflict, the less we are sidetracked by our own petty conflict. When we have a greater mission in mind, we're no longer distracted by the petty squabbles of the day. When we have a greater task at hand, we often let the small things go. And that's what he has for us. So today the question for you is, what does your marriage look like? Is it characterized just by daily routines and not much more? Is there purpose and meaning to your everyday pursuits? Have you ever told yourself, there must be more to life than I'm living right now? Have you wondered if there is more to life than just enduring the mundane of the week just to get to the weekend? When is the last, last time you as husband and wife took on a role, took on mission, took on something that God is calling you to do? The purpose of marriage is to be on mission together. The purpose of life The purpose each individual has is to be on mission. The purpose of marriage is to be on mission together. It's for us to pursue what God has called us to do together. And scripturally, any marriage where the priority shifts from away from the mission of God falls short of success. Our purpose as individuals is to be on mission. But our purpose in marriage is to be on mission together. How do we as individuals and families accomplish this? You see, some of us, we come in and we say, we, have, we don't have the right marriage for this. We don't have, we're not strong enough as a couple to take on something bigger. In the 1950s, right after World War II had ended, almost a decade after the war had ended, The German Mennonites, they started migrating to the little island of Belize, 
as you can imagine, the leadership there, they were not too comfortable. It, was, it kind of made them question what was going on. The Mennonites did not speak, act, or they were nothing like the Nazis that they heard of, but they were still Germans. So they were suspect what to do. So the leaders came up with this. They knew that they were coming. They were already immigrated. So the leaders came up with this plan. Give them the most unproductive land in the entire country. The property that nobody wants. Property for generations that had been discarded and no one wants anything to do with them. They can't wreck it. It's already wrecked, right? And for the sake of the country and perhaps the sake of the Mennonites, it was a brilliant decision, though not the way in that the, the officials had anticipated. You see, the Mennonites, by applying their faith and work ethic, by applying the principles that God had taught them or that, they had, that their faith had taught them, they worked hard. At first it was hard. At first it was unfruitful. But eventually... It started to become productive. And today, if you go into Belize, any native will tell you that the Mennonite lands are the most productive of all of Belize. It went from what was useless, it went from what had no resources to being the most productive. You see, there's a small analogy of our marriages there. You may come into this morning saying, I have nothing productive to give. I have nothing to offer. You don't know my family. It's a mess. You don't know my history. I am broken. It is possible with faith to receive the least productive relationship and end up spiritually feeding others out of it. You see, God doesn't call the perfect He doesn't call the flawless. He calls the faithful. It is possible to enter marriage feeling as though you have nothing to give and end up having an incredibly fruitful relationship that isn't just fulfilling you, but inspiring others. It is possible to feel as if you're stuck in a rut in your marriage and as if you and your spouse simply lack the raw materials or the resources of compatibility or the skills needed. And yet... With faith, realize that marriage becomes a source of joy, togetherness, and a powerful witness. This is a a principle. It's not what we have, but what he can do with it. You may come in saying, God, I have nothing. But he can transform that nothing into everything. In their book, Marriage on a Mission, and if you haven't read it, I would recommend it highly. It's by Tom and Sandy Blaylock, and I'm going to end with this. I'm going to have the, the worship team come up. They mentioned three steps. That they themselves, as a couple, they, they took three steps. And they said they had three focuses. Upward, inward, and outward. And so today, if you have to write this down, just do that. Because as you go into this week, I'm hoping that we can apply that. You see, first, their mission was upward. Jesus, when he was on this earth, no matter where he was, he would take time out of his day to communicate with his father. He would take time to make sure that that channel was always there, that he knew that his mission, first of all, was upward. 
It always looked up. In your day or in your week or in your day, do you have a time where you and your wife, where you and your, your wife and your children, do you take time to say, God, we need you? Do you take time to separate it from all other things and say, God, this is a time dedicated for meditation. This is a time dedicated to reading your word. This is a time dedicated to prayer. You see, as families, we need that up. We need that focus. We need that upward focus. Second, our mission is inward. When Jesus ministered, he would always minister first to those who was closest to him. To the disciples he would minister. To those in his inner circle he would minister. To his family he would minister. See, there's a, there's a secret there. As husbands and wives, do you have moments in your week? Do you have time set apart for your, yourselves, for each other? For your family, for your children. Do you have time that is not interrupted by phone calls and that's not interrupted by media and that's not interrupted by everything else? Do you have time set apart to take care of yourselves, to make sure that your soul is taken care of, to make sure that your relationship is taken care of, to do the tune-up that it needs? There needs to be an inward focus. You see, ministry first begins with the family and then moves outward. And if you're going to do it this week, make sure you're intentional. Take an hour. Take however much time you need to make that inward focus. Maybe it might just be a game night. Maybe it might be you going out for dinner. Maybe it might be you taking a walk with your wife or your husband. Whatever it is, do you have that inward focus? And then finally... When Jesus was here on this earth, his mission was always, it always involved outwardness. It always involved his community. It always involved those he was surrounded with. He was always healing somebody. He was always feeding somebody. He was always doing something. In your neighborhoods, are you known? Do your neighbors know you? Do your coworkers know you? Is there, do you take time, do you and your wife, do you take time, do your, does your family take time, do, are you intentional with going out and sharing what you have, being intentional with the time that you have with those around you? Today he's calling us to be focus upward, focus inward, and focus outward. You see, today as you said, I'm hoping the Holy Spirit illuminates a part of your life in this message. Maybe there's something in your life that you need to deal with. Maybe you're sitting here saying, I have nothing to give. You see, as I said before, it's not what you have to give. It's what he does with it. He can take your barrenness. He can take your emptiness. He can take what was burned and destroyed, and he can create something beautiful. He can create something life-giving out of it. Maybe you're in a situation where all you're able to do is just keep your head above water. You're overwhelmed by your circumstances. You work hard at providing for your family. You work hard to pay the bills. You try your best with your wife and your husband. And yet it just does not click. You do your best. And yet you feel like there's more. I just don't know what. Remember, it's not what you bring. It's what he can do with it. All of us are deeply flawed one way or the other. But I hope if you take away one thing, it's that he calls, not the perfect, 
not the flawless. He calls those who are faithful. And he calls us to a mission. The purpose he gives each of us, the purpose he gives is mission. And the purpose for our marriage is mission together. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the example that Ecola and Priscilla set for us. Lord, may we learn from how they responded to your grace and may we learn how they responded in mission. Lord, there are many of us sitting here today looking at our own lives, looking at our own marriages, looking at our relationships and say, God, I could never do that. God, my, my marriage is in shambles. My marriage is falling apart. And yet you want me to go out and do this. And Lord, I pray that you would build faith in us. You would build faith in those situations that seem dark. You would build faith in those situations that seem bleak. And that you would restore our marriages. You would restore our relationships. You would bring us back to you. Lord, I pray for each person sitting here. Lord, may you bless them with abundance. May you bless them so that they are rich in your kingdom. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.